This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first reading comes from Psalm number one. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregations of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here ends the reading. The second reading is from John chapter 4, verses 10 to 19, and can be found on page 685 your pew Bibles. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Here ends the reading. Father, send your spirit among us that as we think of the word which he has inspired, so you might speak to us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. On the news, I hear that uh, in Dubbo, the average September temperature has risen over two degrees Celsius in the last 50 years. Today, Dubbo's 35,000 inhabitants are on the verge of having no water. Many inland towns are in the same boat, and some are already in the alarming and very expensive situation of having to truck in water. Without water, everything people have built up will die. 
Right now, despite the truly huge cost, governments across the nation are urgently considering a range of possible sites for new dams. The next step may even be planning a vastly more expensive series of desalination plants around the coast to pump streams of fresh water into our inland rivers and towns to guarantee our food supply, or if raised temperatures and long droughts are the new normal, to enable life to continue to thrive on the other side of the Great Dividing Range. Because nothing is more essential than water. And water was not plentiful in Israel either. In Jesus' day, it was often hard to provide. The water in the town well at Sychar, where Jesus had that conversation with the Samaritan lady, was 10 metres below the ground. No wonder the woman told Jesus that here the well is far too deep for him to get water for her. The well had been in use for about 18 centuries, though we don't know if it had to be so deep from the start. And it was living water in the well. This was a Jewish expression for water that is flowing, healthy, safe, as distinct from water that was stagnant or still or even captured in the cisterns that they hewed out of rocks. Jesus had asked the woman for a drink. She had the necessary bucket and the rope. She more or less said, you must be joking, and reminded him that Jews, like Jesus, normally thought themselves far too holy to even think of drinking from a Samaritan woman's bucket. So why should she bother to help him? Whether she was being a bit dismissive of Jesus or perhaps even flirty, we can't tell. But Jesus seems to think that a little bit more respect would be nice. He says, if you knew who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now she starts to take him seriously. Well, sort of. Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep, where do you get that living water? And she rounds off her scepticism by asking if he really thinks he is better than her ancestor Jacob, who dug the well nearly 2,000 years before. So then Jesus makes himself a little clearer. Those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. Now he has really raised her hopes. Sir... Give me this water so that I may not have to keep coming here to draw water. She was not getting Jesus' drift because he'd also said, if you knew the gift of God and also the water that I will give will become a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. So despite these hints, she's taking in only what makes sense to her and a flow of living water that guarantees she is never thirsty and also has never to come to this well again in the middle of the day sounds a bit like heaven on earth. She is all ears at the material level but not at the spiritual level that Jesus is trying to draw her into. He changes tack. For some reason he seems to sense that there is something in her that might flourish spiritually 
But on the other hand, it's a bit socially awkward having a longer discussion without her husband being on hand. Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You're right, for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. Sir, you are a prophet. At last, something is making sense for her. He really is a prophet, one who brings messages from God. Now, that explains why he's talking in such strange ways, offering to give her living water with no bucket so she will never get thirsty and it will gush up into eternal life. Nevertheless, not wanting for it all to get beyond her again, she switches the conversation to the very question every Samaritan would want to ask any prophet. But we will come to that next week. In doing so, of course, she avoids Jesus' pet topic of the moment, living water that slakes the thirst and gushes up into eternal life. She avoids it, but we won't. What is Jesus' living water? He was offering her an experience which, in his own words, includes these phrases, living water, gushing up to eternal life, never again being hungry or thirsty, not condemned but saved, guided into all the truth, the spirit of truth abiding in you, Pain turned into joy. Plus, wonderfully, my peace I give to you. And also, my father and I will come and make our home with you. And it adds, all adds up, in Jesus' words, to life in all its fullness. Now, this is what Jesus offers. Deep satisfaction mental confidence, personal fulfilment and awareness that God is right here. Living water that grows wonderful Christians. Absolutely magnificent. Well, why do so few accept this? Well, because like most special offers on TV, there are terms and conditions. And here are the basic two. Jesus' living water experience comes only to those who deliberately receive him as one, their saviour, and two, their leader. Condition number one, saviour. At the Last Supper, when Jesus deliberately took on the servant role and approached Peter to wash his feet, Peter was appalled. You will never wash my feet. But Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Unless Jesus forgives us, we are unforgiven. Only he can forgive, only he can save. And a life of unforgiven sin is utterly unfit for eternal life in the presence of God. Jesus told a simple parable to make this clear. It concerned a king giving a great banquet. Now, always that is a symbol of God welcoming guests into heaven. 
The, then one guest strolled in without the essential wedding gown. He was unceremoniously removed. The essential garment for entry into eternal life is the gown of forgiveness. And it's not only eternal life, without forgiveness there's little inner peace in this life either. Well, what can I do in the hunt for inner peace if I won't come to Jesus for his forgiveness? Well, here are four options. I can, one, ignore my failures, pretend they don't exist, as if they don't matter. Bury my conscience, but that always makes things worse. So two, make excuses for myself, but I'm the only one that's fooled by that. Three, I can ask those I hurt to forgive me, but plenty of them won't, so the problem's not solved. Or four, I can try to forgive myself. And this is something that Clive James has written about. He wrote, I still need my sins forgiven. Now, having lost his childhood faith, I must try to do it myself. I find that very hard and spend much time feeling absurd. All exercises in futility, because Jesus is the only source of the peace of full forgiveness in both this life and certainly into eternity. The living water, the life in all its fullness, is built on a foundation of free forgiveness. And it's one of the reasons why every Anglican service includes the confession of sins. It's to train us to be very regular, noticing our sins, confessing them, undoing the mess that we've made as much as possible, repenting. Do you regularly, genuinely repent. That's deciding to be different. And then bask in Jesus' glorious free forgiveness. This basking, this freedom, is living water. Now, look, if your conscience does still trouble you after confessing, well, do talk to Michael or one of the parish leaders because the peace that passes all understanding is there for you, not just for others, for you to experience the peace that God gives to the forgiven. That's term and condition number one. Term and condition number two for this experience that Jesus likens to refreshing, cleansing, life-giving, flowing water, life in all its fullness. The second one comes as we follow Jesus, as we make him our leader, as we keep his commandments. Now, of course, here is a real problem. Everyone naturally wants to be in charge of themselves. None of us is any different. We want to do what we want to do. Jesus calls this saving your own life. That is, being our own boss. So he declares, those who want to save their life will lose it. That is, those who hold on to being their own boss so as to build a good life in their eyes will, in the end, make a mess. 
because they will have lost eternal life. Then, on the other hand, Jesus' next line is, those who lose their life for my sake, that is, those who make me the boss, will save it, will enjoy the delight of eternal life. Isn't that a bit tough? Well, no, not at all. Because life is exactly like that. If I want to be a good pianist, I need to play the notes that somebody else has written in the music. If I want to excel at sport, I need to obey every rule in the sport's book of laws. If I want to enjoy touring around the nation, I need to obey the rules about car registration and drink driving and especially giving away at red lights. The whole of life only works well when we live by the rules and our relationship with Jesus is no different. And so we need training to think and act like him. We need to adopt his rules or his instructions or his lifestyle. It's the only way to love our neighbour. These then are the basic terms and conditions of experiencing Jesus' living water. Trust Jesus as your saviour, your forgiver, and adopt him as your leader, your boss. And if you've never deliberately done this, do it now. Do it today. Accept him as your saviour, your forgiver, and appoint him your leader, your boss. There's so much more to this life of living water. <clears throat> it also, wonderfully, is in the mind. <clears throat> it comes with the reassurance that Jesus did rise from the grave and so is the Son of God whose death has actually soaked up all my sins and made me fit for heaven. St Paul summarised this key part of salvation when he told the Ephesians, you believed in Christ and God put his stamp of ownership on you by giving you the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the guarantee that we shall receive what God has promised. The guarantee. It's a key part of the work of the Holy Spirit to assure us <clears throat> that God is here, that I am his child now and forever. Now, most people have doubts from time to time, but as we continue the lifestyle of Bible reading and regular praying and active worship, God's Spirit convinces us that no matter what any others may say, God is here and I am his. This calm, this peace, this reassurance this being sure in our minds that I am being led into truth is part of living water. It is knowing this is what I was made for, existing the way the Creator planned for me to live. My best friend in high school <clears throat> didn't get on all that well with his father, so towards the end of high school he was sent off to board in Bathurst where a fellow boarder from a property further out west 
told him that Jaguar cars were heaps because theirs had only lasted for one roundup. Now, of course, misusing things wrecks them. Misusing Jaguars for roundups wrecks them. Misusing our lives ends up in tears. And our lives were made for walking with God. In Augustine's words, our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. It is life in all its fullness because it's simply what we were made for. So this living water is the release of being totally forgiven. It is the fulfilment of obeying Jesus and it is the inner peace of knowing that this is the truth. Is living water your experience? It can be. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.